day before Thanksgiving, uh, I went to Walmart. I did that for two reasons. Uh, one is that the book of James says that trials and tribulations are a chance for our faith to grow. So I wanted to cash in on that. But the second reason is because of the comedic factor of going to Walmart the day before Thanksgiving. There's nothing like it. The movies, TV, they got nothing on this. Um, and, and I dare you, next Thanksgiving, do this, and, and you won't be disappointed. If, if you need some comedy or some comedic relief, go stand by the place where all the turkeys are, like the, the refrigerator that has all the turkeys. Uh, I, I decided to do this for, for a few moments. And, and there's all kinds of comedy going on there. I mean, there's people haggling over how many pounds of meat their family are going to eat. Uh, you know, a young married couple discovers that the birds do not come pre-thawed. Um, but my favorite is, is this lady. I'm never going to forget this lady now but because she's walking around. She's got, her phone, she's got her phone up to her ear, and she's obviously talking to a family member. She, she's getting all of her stuff bought for Thanksgiving. And you can tell because she's got a cart full of stuff. I mean, she's got the, the, the vegetables and the potatoes and all this stuff all heaped up high on the cart. And, and she's obviously, you know, getting ready to be done. She's talking to somebody on the phone. And she says, all right, last thing, I just got to get the turkey and then I'm headed home. She, she goes over to the turkey bin. She grabs what was had to be an 18-pound bird. This is, not, this is a small lady, right? This is not a, not a big gal. And so she grabs this 18-pound this bird and lifts it over and puts it on top of all these groceries. I'm thinking, man, you just smashed everything else you were you're trying to buy. But she says, she says this, and I think from what I ascertained, you know, next time you go to Walmart, you're going to be looking for me. Who's listening in on my conversation? Is Jonathan around here? But I'm pretty sure it was her daughter. And she said, you know, I, I got the turkey, and, and I'm going to be home in just a few minutes. I, I don't know. I think it looks, looks like a good-sized bird. I, I don't know how, how big does a bird need to be. Well, I don't know. It says 18 pounds. 18 pounds ought to be enough, don't you think? I'd... Well, of course it shrinks when you cook it. Everything shrinks when you cook it, you know? Well, I, listen, listen. There's no point in haggling. It's, it's Thanksgiving. I mean, you know, I'll just get another turkey. So this is, you know, <laughs> I suppose I should have helped, but I was too busy. This lady grabs this other big bird and puts it in the car. So now she's got two turkeys. And she said, all right, fine. I got two turkeys. There's way more, more turkey than we need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out. I'm going to come home. I'm going to be done. What, 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 do you, what do you mean your brother, your brother Bobby prefers ham? And we're having turkey. All right, all right, all right, all right. So she, I'll, I'll, I'll get a ham and then I'm going to come home. But seriously, this has got to be, I, 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 need to, I need to be home right now. So she goes over to the, to the hams. You know, she grabs this big ham. She puts it in the car. She's like, all right, we've got to be done now. I got two turkeys. I got a ham. I got a basket full of groceries. I got to get home. I got to, you know, I got a lot of stuff. I got to get done there. And Cindy's kids. What about Cindy's kids? What do you mean Cindy's kids do not eat turkey or ham? Come on. What, what, what do they eat? Chili dogs. <laughs> all right. So this lady goes over and she gets the ground beef and all the stuff for the chili dogs. And I can just see this look on her face like this is going to go great with my brand new dining room carpet, you know. But as she's walking by me, I realize this lady is not with us. She's, she's at Walmart physically, but, but mentally, she's not with us at Walmart. You know, I can see the, 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 the haze over the eyes. And, you know, I forgive her for running over my foot with her cart because at the end of the day, I recognize that she, her mind is somewhere else. And I know what she's thinking. She's thinking, did I get too much food? Did I get not enough? People going to be hungry? People going to starve at my house? Am I going to burn something? Will this all fit in my oven? Did I dust the curtain rods? Right? Is my mother-in-law going to like the new valances? And beyond that, 
is my mother-in-law going to bring dessert again? Because I keep telling her I will cook the dessert. What is it up with this woman? Does she think I can't make a dessert? Does she not like my desserts? Every time she brings a dessert, at some point I've got to sleep. Maybe if I get three or four hours of good sleep in it at some point. Oh, I forgot to put scented candles in the bathroom. That's a really good idea. And she's running through all these things in her head. And you can tell this lady is absolutely functioning at the peak. I mean, this lady has got no additional reserve of ability. It's all going into this celebration. And i got to be honest with you. I kind of feel like maybe that's a... Maybe that's something that's happening all over our country. I, I thought about this as I walked through Thanksgiving. I thought so many people are running themselves ragged trying to pursue something that is a, it's an illusion. The perfect holiday, the perfect setup, the perfect Norman Rockwell picture. And we're not going to achieve it. And so that's kind of what we're talking about with holidays. Because i got to be honest with you, the, the impression that I got of this lady was that she was being robbed. I don't know if you're like me, but I think about the holidays all year long. I mean, I'm a holiday person. That's my family. They'll tell you, I would listen to Christmas music all year long if I could. But I still want to live with my family, so uh, I don't. And, but I'm that kind of guy, and I, I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has become probably my favorite holiday. Christmas is my favorite holiday in that we're celebrating Christ coming to earth. But as you know, with you know, usually six services at New Spring on Christmas Eve, uh, we put the pedal to the floor about Christmas time. So Thanksgiving, there's a little more time uh, for family and hanging out and just doing stuff. And so Thanksgiving has become a real favorite of mine. So I look forward to it all year long. Thanksgiving and Christmas, these are, these are holidays I anticipate from the very beginning of the year. So I think when I, when I see this lady in Walmart, I think I totally relate to the fact that you look forward to it, you look forward to it, you plan it, you have this picture in your mind of how awesome Thanksgiving is going to be, how awesome Christmas is going to be, and then you get to the holiday, and then all the complications start to pop up, and all the work that the holidays requires pops up, and the stress, and the hassle, and the, the, the just trying to keep the wheels on, because all these additional things added to the schedule, you got to go to so-and-so's play, and you got to go to so-and-so's concert and you've got to make sure that you're at this and you're at that and you're trying to just keep all the keep 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 all the wheels rolling and it's like what you'd hope for doesn't really materialize and you have the potential of sitting down at the end of Thanksgiving dinner or being done after Christmas all the wrapping papers put away and sitting there and thinking you know I think I was robbed because it wasn't exactly what I was planning it wasn't what I was looking forward to well that's what we're talking about in this holiday series and that's kind of what we're focusing on Ultimately, my goal, and I think our goal as a, as a teaching team, is for you to experience the greatest holiday season that you've ever had. We want you to have a fantastic Christmas this year. And we want to just talk about some of the things that kind of can sort of create obstacles uh, for that. And today, I get to tackle a topic I love. We were, we were in the middle of our planning, this is more than you want to know, but we have these little planning meetings where we're sitting and we talk through the series and hear the talks that we're going to do and who's going to do which talk and what's the talk going to be about. And uh, so we had kind of sketched out holidays. And, uh, and my dad said, Jonathan, I want you to do this talk, and I want, I, I, want, I want the talk called My Crazy Family. I just kind of chuckled. I said, you do realize you're part of my crazy family, right? Um, but seriously, I do think that one of the biggest sources of stress in the holidays is family. You know, I, I thought about this. Isn't, is it or is it not true that the chances are better than even that at some point during this holiday season, you are going to get a big, fat, double dose of someone in your family that you take much better in small doses? <laughs> Truth? Right? So we got to deal with that. 
Because I understand not all families have tension during the holidays. I get that. But I do think that if there's any potential for tension in your family, I do think the holidays will flush that out. There's chances that at some point you may feel like you're in the spotlight, like everything you do is being evaluated by another family member. Or maybe you'll get a remark from somebody and it'll feel like a zinger and you'll have to figure out how to respond. Or you're going to walk into tension that you didn't ask for. Or worse, and I think this is maybe the, the, the biggest one, and I think all of us have experienced this at some point or another, you're going to be in a situation where you feel like you're in the middle. You know, There's two factions of family that don't get along with each other, and you kind of walked right into it. Now you're in the middle of that, or you've got two people in the family that don't get along, and, but they each get along with you, sort of, and so you find yourself being the back-and-forth person. So whatever your situation, I want to give you three keys to dealing with family craziness this year. And here's how I found them. Um, when Dad said, I want you to talk about family issues that create stress during the holiday season, I knew that there was not necessarily a specific Bible story that I could point to and say, okay, here, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this story apart and we're going we're gonna to figure this out. So instead, I decided to take a different path. And I opened the book of Proverbs. Anybody else here love the book of Proverbs? I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the book of Proverbs. Here we have King Solomon, who's the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him an incredible measure of wisdom. And he's writing down, all of, uh, he, he's writing down these teachings of wisdom for us to, to keep and to digest and make part of our everyday routine. And so what I decided to do was open the book of Proverbs. And I just took out a highlighter. And I began to highlight everything that I thought really dealt with highly stressful interpersonal relations. Then I took those verses and I put them in columns and I tried to take the top three topics or the top three uh, pieces of advice Solomon gives that, that I could give you. So I didn't really come up with these by just thinking, okay, what's the top three pieces of advice Jonathan Hoover would give you? I literally got these straight from Proverbs. And I'm telling you that ahead of time because I just want you to know these are way more simple than I thought they were going to be. When I came up with this list, I thought, man, I don't know what people are going to think about this because these are things that, that seem so simple. But the more I looked at it, the more I thought, wow, they're simple, but they're hard to do. And so I'm just going to walk through these with you. Three keys if you're taking notes um, on how to deal with family stress at the holidays. The first two are going to deal with if you have somebody in your family who's a button pusher. Okay. You know what I mean by button pusher, right? They have the, they, they have the skill of raising your blood pressure. They know what to say and what to do uh, to, to, to get you riled up, right? So if you have a button pusher in your family, these first two are for you. If you are someone in this room who says, I have no one in my family who's a button pusher. We're all angels. Um, the third one was, is for all of us, so that'll help you. And eventually God will send you some kids, and then you'll be with the rest of us, okay? So... Um, so here, here's the first one. If you have a button pusher in your life this holiday season that's a family member or, or otherwise, but if you have a button pusher and they do something to really get you riled up, here's the first thing. This was the, actually, this was the most common thing that I found in the book of Proverbs, and it's this. Slow down and think. I know that sounds just so simple, but I promise you, open the book of Proverbs and see if I'm not right about this. It's just over and over and over and over. I could not skip it because it was the main thing that jumped off the page that Solomon says, you need to slow down and you need to think. And I think this is important because we do tend to, we tend to be reactive. I mean, there's going to be somebody in this room who's going to say, Jonathan, my mother-in-law um, is out to terminate my life. Like, this person does not like me. She's, she never accepted me. No one was ever going to be good enough for her son anyway. I had no idea I was stepping into this, but she's had it out for me since day one. And everything I do is wrong. Everything I say is wrong. I can't be around her without somehow getting her upset with me. And so I react. When she's upset with me, then I get upset. And we have this sort of reactive thing going on, and it creates family stress. I don't even like going to her house because it just gets 
uncomfortable because there's all this pushback back and forth, you know, or there'd be somebody else here who'd say, you know what, Jonathan, it, I, it's just a button pusher in my family. I don't know how else to say it. It's a brother, it's a sister, it's, a, it's an uncle, who, who knows? But they push my buttons. They know exactly what to say, but they hide what they say, you know? They, they make it sound like a compliment, but I know what they're really saying, right? So my, my, every time, you know, my brother's at my house, he always tells me how cozy it is, but I know that cozy is code for small and informal, but everybody else thinks he's being nice. He's not being nice. He's pushing my buttons, you know. The Bible says that when somebody is pushing your buttons, we need to slow down and we need to think. I want to read this verse to you in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. It says this, whoever is slow to anger. So whoever turns down their, their sensitivity knob so that anger doesn't happen as quickly is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city, or that means better than he who conquers a city. So Solomon's saying, look, it's better than a military victory. It's better than going in and, and dominating a whole city if you can manage to dominate what is inside of you. He's saying the real win, if you want to know what the real win is in relationships, it's not having the last word. It's not knowing the exact right thing to say when somebody comes at you with a zinger. It's not uh, uh, catharsis. It's not getting out there and just saying whatever you feel and, and being aggressive with it. Solomon says, if you want to know what the real win is, if you want to know what's going to make you feel good when you walk away from it and know that you handled it right, it's self-control. Well, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. But Proverbs does give us a few keys about how this can happen in our lives. And, and by the way, let me, let me give you this one other verse. Um, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 16 says it just so simply. It says, wise people think. All right, now that was brilliant. That's what you got out in the cold for this morning, right? Wise people think before they act. So here's, I, I, I'm, I'm just breaking down what the Bible says. That says that what that means is that a foolish person acts before they think, right? Because this is what Proverbs does. It, it contrasts the wise person and the foolish person. So the wise person thinks before they act. The foolish person acts before they think. And Jonathan is very, very good at acting before he thinks. This is what God's been pointing out to me this week. God's saying, Jonathan, listen, you got your order of operations wrong. When there's tension, when there's discomfort, and when you tend to be reactive, what's happening is you're acting before you think. And God's saying, maybe it's time that you work. And I'm, I'm saying this to me more than anybody else, but God is saying, Jonathan, maybe you need to work a little harder at trying to think and then act. But let me, can I just tell you what's hard for me about this? I'm going a little off script, but can I tell you what's hard for me about thinking before I act? It's not really thinking before I act that's a problem. It's thinking before I talk that's a problem, right? Is anybody else with me on that? I just tend to, things fly out of my mouth. I'm almost one of those people who needs to hear myself say something to know what I think about it, you know? I, I've always been that way, you know? I, I, I think first and I, you know, I talk first and I think later. But here's what's interesting. The Bible gives us a key for this. And I'm going to go quickly here, tech team, to James 1.19. The Bible says that if we have a problem with this, we need to learn to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Did you know what the Bible tells us to do if we have a problem with talking before we think? The Bible says we need to open our ears. 
because we can't be talking and listening at the same time. Now, I know this is what my second grade teacher tried to teach me a lot of years ago, and maybe it's taken me this long to come online with it, but this was really huge for me this week. God was saying, listen, the issue is that your mouth is open, but your ears are closed. When you get reactive, you start talking and you quit listening. And God is saying, listen, when those, when those moments happen, you get into that tense situation, God is saying it's time to open up the ears and close the mouth. And more than that, that that's how we calm down. God, my generation, I think, is a wonderful generation in a lot of ways. We also have a few shortcomings. And I've been just kind of watching as things have developed over the years, and now in my generation we have kids running around and and watch, I've been watching how we parent, how we get along as couples. And one of the things that concerns me is that I feel like my generation struggles with the idea of calming down. When we get activated, when we get upset, my, I, I don't know, I just feel like we've lost the ability to, to, to learn how to kind of to, to, to calm down from the inside. I was at the mall the other day, and I watched parent after parent after parent my age parents yelling at their kids in public, which is no better than, I mean, it's no, it's no better to yell at your kids in private, but here they are in public without even thinking, yelling at their kids, saying terrible things, and I'm watching their kids yelling at each other, and I'm thinking, dear me, I don't even know what the next generation is going to look like, because we, we feel, we somehow feel, or the cultural message seems to be like, if you get activated, you should just spew that out. Let me tell you, that is not, that's not what a win looks like, or at least that's what Solomon's telling us is not what a win looks like. Solomon's saying a win looks like self-control. If you want to walk away from the situation and feel like you did the right thing, it's time to close the mouth, open the ears, and calm down. It's one of the greatest things that you can ever give you. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can ever give your kids is to personally learn the skill of calming down and to teach it to them. Because this world is always going to be full of things that are going to spark anger. And a person who can manage to keep their temper, a person who can manage to keep it under self-control, that person is going places uh, in this world. Which, by the way, for whatever it's worth, most of us have this ability already baked in. It's just that we don't use it with family. Because I have people come in sometimes and they'll tell me, you know, Jonathan, I have this terrible anger problem. I lash out and I say really terrible things. I call my spouse names and, and say things that I shouldn't. And I'm worried, you know, maybe I've used some language around my kids that I really shouldn't use. And, and you know, I just, I, I, but I have a really hard time controlling it. And I say, okay, really, how, how is this playing itself out at work? Have you cussed your boss out? Have you yelled at him? Can you tell me how, how, how much have you been this way when you, go to, when you go to work? Well, I know I'm never that way at work. You know, I'm, I'm professional. I have a filter. You know, I, th- I, I think things through before I let them come out my mouth. And, I, you know, I, I watch myself. And I'm that way with, you know, when, when I go out on a sales call, I'm very careful on that call. I'm trying to make sure that I handle things correctly, you know. And, no, I've, I've never had that kind of problem at work. Well, let me tell you, if we can do it at work, we can do it at home. But we have just developed somehow the idea that we shouldn't filter at home because that ought to be the place where we can forget the filters. No, it's not the place where we can forget the filters. Let me tell you something. When something is valuable, you treat it with the most caution. When something is valuable, you, you, you treat it with the most care. And our family are the most valuable relationships that we have. So if, we, if we're going to be careful in any relationships, we ought to start by being careful with the people that we love. God's saying, Jonathan, close your mouth. Open up your ears and calm down. We need to slow down and think. And by the way, I, I want to take you to this verse, James 1.20. I almost forgot to give you this. 
That verse that I said, quick, quick to uh, quick listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Immediately, James transitions over to this in James 1.20 where he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that right word righteousness just means rightness, correctness, doing things the right way. And I, I tell you, this is where I really get stuck because if I react in anger, and I'm very capable, I have, a, I have a pretty strong temper, and I have the ability to react in anger. And every time I do, I always walk away from that, and, and I know in my head I did not handle that right. And I don't know if anybody can, can identify with this. That's a terrible feeling. Man, the feeling that I want is to be able to walk away from it and go, I, that was the way that should have been handled. I said the right thing. I did the right thing. Maybe the right thing was not to say anything at all, but I can walk away and I can say I handled it the right way. And, and, and what the Bible's saying is human anger uh, or the anger of man is never going to get you where you need to be. That's why calming down is so important. Okay, I got to move on. Here's the second thing. This is an axiom for life that I have um, put to work some time ago. I've written about it, and I love this. You can, you can, this is another one that's a, a good one to kind of keep in your hip pocket for all your relationships, but it's simply this. Take things at face value, uh, if that. Take things at face value, if that. One of the biggest sources of tension at the holidays are the hidden messages that might or might not be there. I already talked about the whole your house is cozy one. Well, maybe it's your mother who seems disappointed that you didn't wear the sweater that she bought you for Christmas last year. Or maybe it's that your mother's disappointed because you only ever wear the sweater she buys you for Christmas when she comes over to the house. Uh, or maybe it's that no one's eating your cranberry sauce. Or your husband's family never invites you to play touch football with them. I mean, what are they, sexist or do they just not like you? Um, your wife's dad hugs everyone in the entire family and gives you a handshake. And you're thinking, will I never be good enough for him? Why has no one commented on the turkey? Is it dry? Is it inedible? Do they think I'm a terrible cook? I mean, at the, at the holidays, we become experts at reading between the lines, pros at looking for the hidden meanings. But here is a bit of freedom for your holiday season. This, I'm going to set you free in the name of Jesus. You do not have to pay attention to hidden meanings. You can just forget about it. Quit worrying about reading between the lines, and I'll give you two really excellent reasons why you should not worry about it. If somebody's trying to slip a hidden message underneath something, I'll give you two good reasons why you should just let it go. Here, here, here's the first one. If you react to people's hidden messages, you are teaching them that that is how they can communicate with you. Right? If, 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 you, play, if you let someone play games with you, you are teaching them that that's how they communicate with you is by playing games. But if you teach them that in order to get your attention and to, and, and, and to communicate with you, they have to deal with it directly, they have to deal with it head on, you are teaching them that that is how to communicate with you. Here's the other one. We actually gain respect by overlooking those things. Look at this, Proverbs 19, verse 11. I've never seen the second half of this verse before this week. First half of the verse says, sensible people control their temper, that makes sense. Second half says they earn respect. Now, anytime the Bible tells us that you can earn respect by doing something, I'm, my, my antenna are up because I'm always interested in earning respect. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. See, the reason that we find hidden meanings is that we're looking for something wrong, truthfully. Our antenna are up to find out if there's anything not cool, anything wrong, anything that trips that sensor. And God is saying, if you want to earn respect, you need to flip that. And instead of looking for what's wrong, make it difficult. Overlook what's wrong. Make it so that something has to be blatantly wrong before you react to it. Man, I'm telling you, this is, this is freedom here. This is freedom because some, some of us have been looking for hidden meaning so long 
I mean, this is something that we've been doing for a long time. We're wondering, oh, somebody, somebody says something, and the first thought that hits our, hits our head is, I wonder what they meant by that, right? This freedom to say, I, you know, I'm going to assume they meant what they said, you know, and then maybe if, if there's something different, they'll tell me. And, and I say take it at face value if that, because so many people are given to exaggeration and hyperbole. They, they overshoot their emotions. They overshoot what's happening to get our attention. And so that's why I say sometimes we don't even take it at face value. Teach people to communicate with you head on. I'm telling you, that will, that will be freedom and it will, change, um, it will change your outlook. By the way, somebody might say to me, you know what, Jonathan? Um, yeah, there's somebody in, in my family who has really created a, a rift between us over time. I mean, there's really been some bad blood, and I really feel like it's not just something that was hidden in between the lines. This is pretty right out in front there, and, and uh, so if you're asking me to overlook that, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that, and I'm not asking you to overlook something that is wrong. I'm saying overlook something that might be wrong. If it is wrong, it's time to forgive that. So we overlook what might be wrong, we forgive what is. And, and I don't have time to, to read the passage, but in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter is asking Jesus about how many times he's got to forgive somebody who does something wrong to him. And Peter thinks he's going to score some brownie points with Jesus here because he's suggesting that maybe he would forgive somebody way more than anybody else at the time was suggesting that you had to in order to be right with God. And he says, so if somebody you know sins against me, uh, do I have to forgive them seven times? And remember what Jesus said? He said, not just seven times, but 70 times seven, right? Well, there's no magic in the number 490, I assure you. But what Jesus was trying to say is that there has to be a, a, a continual willingness to forgive. Now, every once in a while, that can get confusing because the person says, does that mean I continually have to let somebody hurt me? No, trusting somebody and forgiving them are two different things. To forgive somebody means that you're telling them, you don't owe me anymore. I'm not holding, you, you, you have no debt as far as I'm concerned. I'm not, there's no grudge. I'm not holding you responsible for what happened in the past. You don't have to pay me back for it. Uh, we're, we're even, we're square. And, and so what the Bible is telling us is if there's a, you know, if something might be wrong, you earn respect by overlooking it. If something is wrong, then we forgive that. We say to that person, you know, we're square. You don't owe me anymore. And the Bible says that the reason that we do this, and Jesus tells Peter this elaborate story, about forgiveness, but Jesus' point in that story is that because Jesus has forgiven us, we ought to be willing to forgive someone else. See, I've offended Jesus way more than anybody's ever offended me in, in my life, and Jesus has said, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to forgive that. So Jesus says, if, if he's willing to forgive me that debt, why would I be unwilling to forgive someone else for something that they've done to me? Uh, so I want to move on to this last point uh, very quickly. Uh, and like I said earlier, it's going to apply to all of us in this room today, uh, something that you can take with you for your Christmas celebration. But it's simply this. The third point is simplify. Just simplify. And I'll tell you why this is going to help your family situation. Let me, let me show you this verse in Proverbs 17.1. I love this verse. I just stumbled on it. Uh, it says this, better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. And just let that settle in for a second. Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. You know, I believe that most family stress at the holidays actually starts out with a very good intention. As I said at the beginning of this talk, we, we have this picture, this Norman Rockwell picture, or whatever that ad is on the cover of Pottery Barn. What, we're, we're, we're trying to create something. We're trying to create this family 
function that's going to be perfect and the smells are all going to be right and the tablecloth's all going to be right and the food's going to be right and everybody's going to be happy and there aren't going to be any problems. Nobody's going to be sick. Nobody's going to be upset. Everybody's just going to be holly jolly and it's going to be a wonderful Christmas around the Christmas table. And this is our expectation. Here's what my thoughts are. My thoughts are that somehow, somehow we've allowed this thing to be kind of a runaway train that's gotten away from us and we've set for ourselves an impossible expectation of what the Christmas season should look like. And as a result, relationships are having to take a back seat to the details. Some of us have just lived this just a few days ago at Thanksgiving. There's just so much to do, so much to do. And maybe if you would look back at it and try to take a look back at last Thursday, you would go, you know what, maybe I didn't have enough time to connect with people that I love. Maybe maybe, maybe some of the most important things I was looking for from Thanksgiving didn't really happen because the details, the the plans, trying to make sure everything happened, trying to make sure that, that all the wheels kept stayed on and kept rolling. Sometimes we just need to simplify. The Bible says that it's better to have a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. It means that the relationships are more important than the details. I think our expectations are quietly hijacking what could be an incredible experience for us. Solomon comes along with this proverb. Now there's a story in the Bible about this. In Luke chapter 10, most of y'all know where I'm headed with this, but this story is about Jesus and, and two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. The Bible says Jesus were, was continuing on his way to Jerusalem, and they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing being worth, uh, worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's the story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and, and they stop in at Martha's place. Uh, uh, Martha is, from what we can tell, probably a fairly well-to-do woman. She invites Jesus and his entourage to, to, to dinner. Probably a little bit more than Jesus, uh, probably a little bit more than the 12 that we would norm, normally think of. This is going to be a big dinner. And Martha's got a lot of preparations to make. She's trying to make sure all the tablecloths are clean, all the best china is out. She's, she's making sure everything is perfect. She's checking on the food on the stove. And she's just, you know how it is. The, the lady of the house is just fluttering around, fluttering around. It's like she's constantly in like five places at once. And, and she's trying to make sure everything is just perfect. And she looks over. She wants to say something to Mary, make sure Mary's checking on what's in the oven, her sister Mary. And when she looks over, she realizes Mary isn't in the kitchen. She hasn't been in the kitchen now for a little while. So she figures, oh, Mary's probably off doing something else, trying to make sure the house is nice. So she starts looking for her. And when she finds Mary, she finds her in the living room. And Jesus is in the living room, and he's kind of talking to everybody, sort of talking and teaching and doing what he does. And Mary has planted herself right down in front of Jesus, sitting on the floor, listening to what Jesus has to say. And I think Martha, inside, kind of exploded a little bit, but my, you know, I, I can't read this from the text, but knowing human, knowing how relationships work, part of me feels like at first she tried to kind of keep it inside, you know, she goes back to the kitchen, she's upset, she's muttering to herself, and, and kind of banging pots and pans around a little bit, hoping that Mary gets the picture, understands what she's doing wrong, and hops up and comes and helps in the kitchen, you know, she has a few choice words that she's wanting to, 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 to share with Mary at some point, but she notices that Mary's not getting the picture, and finally she cannot handle it anymore, and she erupts, you know, and she goes in the living room and she speaks specifically to Jesus and she says, don't you think it's kind of unfair 
that I'm having to do all this hard work. Mary's not helping me at all. And here she is. She's just sitting in here listening to you. Make her get up and come help me. Right? And Jesus says to her, my dear Martha, which I love the fact that he says that because I've heard a few preachers preach on this and they talk as though Jesus was somehow calling Martha on the carpet. Jesus was not calling Martha on the carpet. He, 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 he treated her with the term of endearment. He said, my dear Martha. He said, you are two things. He said, you are worried and you're upset over all these details. I wonder if there's somebody in this room who would say, last Thursday I found myself quite worried and I was very upset and the details were driving the train. He said, there's only one thing that's necessary. Mary has found it, and it won't be taken away from her. Now, I've talked about this in a previous message, and I'm going to ask your forgiveness for going back to this same thought, because I think it's important, and I think it, it, we need to talk about it at this point. I've always tended to divide my life endeavors into two categories, you know? There's, there's bad things, and I want to try to minimize those. I don't want to do bad things. The more I can stay away from bad things, the better. And then there's good things, things that I view as being a positive, you know. Uh, and I want to live my life pretty much in that zone. And that's kind of the simplistic way I looked at things for a long time. And I think if you were to ask Martha, hey, Martha, all the stuff that you're doing, you know, I mean, you're kind of angry right now, but all the stuff that you're doing trying to get ready for this meal, is it a bad thing or a good thing? I think she would say, well, all of it's very good. It's very good stuff. I'm doing all these things for, for Jesus and for his, uh, you know, for his disciples, and I'm trying to, trying to make this really nice meal. So, yeah, it's all good things. And then Jesus comes along and says, there's a third category. See, there's good things. There's bad things. And there's things that ultimately don't matter. And see, somewhere in my area of good things, I often don't pay attention to the fact that a lot of that is crowded by things that don't really matter. That's what I think Jesus was trying to tell Martha. I think he was trying to say, listen, there's only one thing that's necessary, but it's as though you've been distracted from it because there's all these things that don't ultimately really matter and they're crowding out the good things that I want you to have. I mean, it's as though Jesus is saying, listen, honestly, the best tablecloths, it doesn't really mean anything to me. And the, 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 the nicest china and all the wonderful things that you're preparing, I mean, you could just prepare any old thing and that would be fine. Ultimately, the most important thing is the relationship. See, that's when, when Jesus said, Mary has found the one necessary thing. What is he talking about? He's saying Mary, Mary understands that it's about the relationship. It's not about the meal. It's about the relationship. I just I say that because I think we live in a culture where we're just so busy. I mean, we just we go 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 constantly. There's something on our plate, and then when we don't have anything on our plate, we have our smartphones. Truth, you know, we get a few minutes of downtime with each other, and what do we do? We pull out the phones and we start looking at stuff. And God is saying, "Listen, there's good things, there's bad things, and there's things that ultimately don't matter." But if you're not careful, the things that ultimately don't matter will crowd out the good things. That's why I'm saying we need to simplify. If you want to have a great, if you want to have a great holiday season with your family, we need to look at our holiday plans. We need to look at our calendar for Pete's sake. We need to look at our, our, our big celebration plans and all those things. And believe me, I'm all about big celebrations. Have a ball. Do all those things. But don't do them if it's going to crowd out the ability to have that time with those relationships and to put those at the front, the center stage. Because the meals will come and go. The plans will come and go. The relationships are what will last. So we need to simplify. 
And I can't finish this message without thinking about what Jesus was saying because Jesus was saying, Mary has found the one necessary thing. That was truly a relationship with, with him. She's sitting there and she's listening to what he's saying. I guess I just think about this. I, I get this so topsy-turvy. You know, I don't know, I don't know if you're, but I, if, you can, if you can see what I'm saying, but I tend to make it upside down. It's like Jesus is saying, you know what, the most important thing is a relationship with him. And then it's relationships with other people. And then it's plans, details, all those things that tend to suck up our attention. And you know what I do? I'm guilty of flipping that triangle. It's all about the details. It's all about the celebration. It's all about making sure that everything is perfect. And then it's about people. It's about relationships with, 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 with my friends and with my family. And then after that, it's, of course, it's about Jesus. Can't forget Jesus. It's Christmas, you know. And I put Jesus at the bottom of the pyramid. And, and, and it's like God is coming to me and saying, Jonathan, if you want to have a great holiday season, you need to invert that and make sure you keep me first, a relationship with me is primary, then a relationship with the people that you love is secondary. And finally, it's whatever the details are that you can manage while you keep those other two things first. So that's what God has called us to do. And I, I hope you have a fantastic holiday season. I am... Um, I don't have time to say this because I have one minute till the service is over, but I was telling Wendy between services, I didn't talk about this in the, in the first service, but I couldn't help but think about our first, uh, our second married Christmas. Um, we, I, I had, you guys know, because I've, I've talked about this a lot, but at one point early, early on in my marriage, I decided I wanted to be an automotive mechanic, and I actually was for a while, believe that or not. Um, and when I went to get training in automotive mechanics, I went to what was at the time considered the finest school in the country, and it was in Wyoming, in the middle of nowhere. Um, and we lived in a little 425-square-foot apartment in the middle of Laramie, Wyoming. And um, our first Christmas came, and, and it was just us. It was just the two of us. And it was a, it was a tiny apartment. We had a tiny tree, and uh, it, it no, I, I didn't know exactly how to keep a tree alive and so uh it was it was a tree for a little while and then it was branches um and we you know we had a few little christmas ornaments and and not obviously a huge big christmas dinner it was just the two of us but you know what i still look back at that as being one of the greatest christmases i can remember and i thought as i prepared this it was almost like god was saying jonathan don't ever make it any more complicated than that have the celebrations have the details but always remember that it doesn't ever have to be any bigger than that because what a great Christmas that was. So I'm encouraging you, go out, have a fantastic holiday season with those that you love. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't react. Slow down and think. Have the right response. Be able to drive away and go, that was a great time and I handled everything the right way. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to have weather that would allow us to have these two services Thank you for a wonderful group that made, made it out even though the weather is cold. Uh, and I pray that you would um, be with us as we finish out this holidays series, that you would inspire us uh, to live lives that honor you during this season where we remember you and the sacrifice that you made for us when you sent your son uh, so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. Next week we continue holidays.